So, is this everything you were hoping for? It's got its ups and downs, but you can't deny the view, though. We don't have to do this. You know that, right? What's the other option? Go back to Tommy's. Be done with this whole damn thing. After all we've been through. Everything that I've done. It can't be for nothing. Welcome back to the official The Last of Us podcast. I'm Christian Spicer. Last episode, we left off with the incredible DLC chapter left behind. We cut back and forth from Ellie's present, caring for an unconscious Joel, and her past, having just been bitten by the infected alongside her first love, Riley. We see the depths of Ellie's feelings for these two fixtures in her life, and how there's nothing she won't do for the ones she loves. Winter is my favorite. Again, that 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 beautiful moment when we see the snow on the ground, the beautiful little pute bunny, uh, and then just the arrow, and that has been fired shot by by Ellie. And the, my one of my favorite moments in the game is when Ellie's just standing there, and you push forward on the stick, and you realize, oh, now I'm in control of her. And the last time that you were in control of anybody besides Joel was Sarah. And so for that to come full circle. There was something really thrilling when we were focus testing the game. You know, we do these, these play tests uh, weekly by the time we, we wrap up production to make sure people aren't getting stuck at areas and to find bugs. And they would get to that part. And this is what I love. It's so unique to our medium because you never get this kind of statement anywhere else where it's like, and the person would go, oh my God, I am Ellie. And all of a sudden, like, they play differently. They're, they're, and even though, like, mechanically, there's a lot of overlap, some things are different with Ellie. Um, but just the way they kind of approached the world was very different for them as this character. And all of a sudden, you create all this new empathy and connection to this character that you didn't have before. Uh, and it's just something really beautiful about our medium, about, about games. So the, the story, right, is about this unit of these two characters and how I think on their own, they would have perished. Um, Ellie maybe like from not having Joel's protection early on, but I think Joel would have died emotionally without Ellie. I think she, she would have never brought the good that exists within him out. It's funny, as, as, as we're here talking about Winter, and we haven't touched on David at all. Name's David. This here's my friend James. But from a larger group, women, children, they're all very, very hungry. Well, uh, maybe we could uh, trade you for some of that meat there. What do you need? Medicine. Do you have any antibiotics? We do. Back at the camp. Welcome to follow us. I'm back not following you anywhere. Buddy boy can go get it. He comes back with what I need. The deer is all yours. Anyone else shows up. You put one right between my eyes. That's right. Two bottles of the penicillin in a syringe. Make it fast. With Sam, like Ellie confides in Sam that her biggest fear is ending up alone, is not having someone. And here she finds herself in winter alone. I mean, Joel is unconscious. And here is this man that we're purposefully painting him like, you know, he's very kind and understanding. I'll take that rifle. Of course. And he's always honest with her. He never lies to her. And yet there's something within Ellie that just is repulsed by this guy. And she doesn't fully, ever fully trust him. So there's something that, even though Joel has done all these horrible things, I think Ellie always recognized that there's good within him. And I think that's why she was so drawn to him even early on in a way that she's not to David. You know, you really shouldn't be out here all on your own. 
I don't like company. I see. What's your name? Why? Look, I understand it's not easy to trust a couple of strangers. Whoever's heard, you clearly care about them. I'm sure it's gonna be just fine. We'll see. And let's talk about David because, uh, <laughs> woof, right? Like, how do you go about creating this seemingly nice guy cannibal? I remember at some point during production, Nolan North was at the studio. And while he was at the studio, I was like, hey, let me show you part of the game. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool. Because he had, didn't really see much of what we were doing as this other project. So showed him that whole sequence. And he was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. this is amazing. Like, you guys are doing this whole other game here while we're making Uncharted 3? And he's like, you got to give me a role in this, like something. I just let, let, me, let me be in it. I'm like, all right. Noel North wants to be in this game. I'm going to give him I'm gonna give him a role. Noel North's going to play the Cannibal King, like the opposite of Nathan Drake. Uh, but actually, because he was put in it, I wanted, I wanted to do him right by it. Like I wanted to give the character interesting meat, interesting dimension. And I think it's because of that that the character became a lot more interesting. And I was like, okay, how do you humanize a cannibal? That was a lot of the conversation I had with Nolan. I was like, I, I don't want you to play the bad guy. I want you to play someone that has to make difficult decisions to help his people survive. Of course, the one big flaw that this guy has is that he's drawn, attracted to Ellie as well. He doesn't have this cannibalism. He also has this other aspect. And we wanted to say he's got this underneath all the facade of like niceness and good charismatic qualities that he has there's there is something kind of brewing and once like he can't have something then he starts losing it uh, but we wanted to hold off on that as long as possible and present him as humanly as possible so one of the tricks we have where like we want to get you to trust someone is to okay well we have really tense mechanics we have combat that like puts you on edge that you can we could kind of ratchet up the difficulty where you barely survive and you literally have to rely on David to survive a sequence. Hope you know how to use that thing. I've had some practice. No matter what, we have to keep them out. Yeah. I shot you. You weren't kidding. You're a better shot with that thing than I am. Hey, kid, you all right? I'm fine. More clickers. Oh, doors this way. Hey, kid. Yeah? You know, I think we did it. Like we killed all of them? I'll check the bridge. No infected. No infected. What'd I tell you? All right. Let's head on back. Check on that buck of ours. Well, you handled yourself pretty nice back there. I'd say we make a pretty good team. And that's where we came up with the whole kind of cabin sequence where all these infected are coming in and you and David have to survive together. And he saves you multiple times in these very specific ways throughout that sequence. And you're like, okay, well, this guy maybe is not that bad, even though I'm getting like a weird vibe from him, but he can save me. Um, and then, of course, he reveals who he is and that he's been in charge of these people that you ran into in the university and you fought and killed. Now, you see, I believe that everything happens for a reason. Sure. I do. And I can prove it to you. Now, this winter, that's been especially cruel. A few weeks back, I sent a group of men out nearby town to look for food. Only a few came back. He said that the others had been uh, slaughtered by a crazy man. And get this, he's a crazy man traveling a little girl. You see, everything happens for a reason. But he doesn't hold Ellie responsible because Ellie's a kid and he sees the strength that Ellie has within her and that's part of the draw for him as recruiting her, is like bringing her over to his people. Ellie rejects that. And then it was important to play 
Ellie protecting Joel first by like being on horseback and drawing them away from the house where she has kept Joel unconscious and was uh, giving him the medicine that she just got. Joel? Oh. I only managed to get a little bit of food. But I did get this. Move your arm. Oh. Here we go. Sorry. Well done. That's it. You're gonna make it. character of David, tell me one thing that David did that was wrong. You tell me one thing that makes him the bad guy. Uh, I can state a case that David is, he and Joel could be mirror images of each other. Um, They both are looking out for those that they love and protect, that both of them are willing to care for Ellie. And the only time that he actually takes action against Ellie is when she tries to kill him. Now, I think that... uh, we see his truest nature <laughs> that you don't, D- David is not someone to to fuck with, but I don't think that he's just like snowblinding her the entire way. I think that he genuinely is like, come come be a part of us. I'll, I'll look after you. I'll make sure that you're taken care of. And yeah, you're, you're probably going to eat, you know, Peter over there eventually. I mean, it's some heavy shit. So <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I remember I read all of those scenes and I was just sitting at a TGI Friday. It's like, oh my God, this is intense and I can't wait to shoot it. How are you feeling? Super. Here. You should eat. I know you're hungry. You've been out for quite some time. What is it? It's deer. With some human helping on the side? No. No, I, I promise. It's just the deer meat. You're a fucking animal. Please tell me your name. You're so full of shit. On the contrary. I've been, uh, been quite honest with you. Now I think it's your turn. It's the only way I'm going to be able to convince the others. Convince them of what? That you can come around. You have heart, you're loyal, and you're special. Oh. And then, you know, when David captures her and tries to threaten her and, well, tries to um, convince her, and then it turns convincing, it's turned to threats when she, like, breaks his finger. And he can't bring her over, and that just drives him mad. little girl you are making it very difficult to keep you alive what am i supposed to tell the others now ellie what tell them that ellie is the little girl that broke your fucking finger where where did rage come from for you Oh boy! Um, I imagine it's a different place than than loss and 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 hurt, or or is it the same? And it's just then unleashed. Boy, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, and Neil and I kind of always joke about this, and um, I, not to reveal too much about myself, but I can be a very angry person, 
And that's an emotion for me as an actor that is very accessible for me. (laughs) I'm not saying that's a positive thing, but I know that that comes from loss for me because it's, it's this place in me that had someone taken from me too soon. And that rebellious anger is still in me. And I think it will always be there. And I kind of don't want it to go away because there are times where I feel like I want it there. And sometimes it's not great, but I think most of the time that's the part of me that is able to defend myself and stand up for myself in situations. Wakey, wakey. Come on. Let's go. I warned you. Really? So are you. Right there. Roll up my sleeve. Look at it! I'll play along. What'd you say? Everything happens for a reason, right? What the hell is that? She would have turned by now. It can't be real. Looks pretty fucking real to me. Again, we're trying to play with familiar tropes and then subverting them. And that's what makes these beats interesting. Is that to say, okay, when Ellie's captured by David and he's chasing after her and you have this whole boss fight in this restaurant that's on fire and you're playing that and you're feeling the tension of that and you're feeling that you're, um, you don't have the equipment necessary to defeat this guy. Like Ellie is this kid and here is a guy that has a gun and a machete and he's coming after you. Uh, and then Joel comes back to life. And you're playing as Joel. Oh, Christ. I gotta find her. I gotta find her. Holy shit. Ellie. Finding out where Ellie is, and you're feeling the tension of like, okay, I want these two characters to get back together. And we're jumping now back and forth at faster and faster rhythm, almost like some song that's picking up speed that you're imagining, okay, here's how it's going to play out. Ellie's going to be just cornered by David, and right before he kills her, Joel's going to burst through the door and save her uh, and kill David, and and then they'll, they'll be okay. But it was important for us not to do that, to say, no, no, Ellie's going to save herself. Like, she actually saves herself before Joel gets there. And actually, it became more interesting that Joel saves her emotionally and not physically. That, again, those roles have shifted, where, like, in the past... Ellie was the more emotional, mature one and was able to lean on Joel. And now Joel is having to take on that role instead of the physical protector that we saw that Ellie is just as capable. So it was important for you to play all that all the way through and feel that. So then we get to that moment where Ellie is, yes, she has shot people, but it has all been in a defense. But this moment, she got David. She incapacitated him. And where we find, where Joel finds her, is the moment where she transcends just incapacitation and it goes into punishment. It goes into this cathartic, I'm taking this out on everybody. This is for Riley. This is for Tess. This is for Sam. This is for Henry. This is for my mom. This is for everybody. This is for this world. David's face becomes the punching bag for all of that. Fuck you. You think you know me? Huh? Well, let me tell you something. You have no idea what I'm capable of. It was a, a part of her journey that she kind of needed to go through to see that she could take care of herself. And Ellie winning this battle shows that she can take care of herself without Joel. And we needed to see that. And the audience needed to see that. And she's taking all of the knowledge that she's learned from Joel and the life experience that she's had up until this point. And it shows how strong her will to survive is that she just doesn't give up. I love that Joel is there for her, though, 
not to fight her battles, but to be there for her in the aftermath. It's me! It's me! It's me! Look! Look! It's me! He tried to... Oh, baby girl. It's okay. It's okay. No. It's okay. Neil had framed this moment. He was like, I don't care what you say, just whatever you would say to comfort her. But the, I want you to know that the only thing I need you to say is baby girl. Um, the fact that that is, now we see Joel the father again. Um, whether it was a skinned knee from soccer practice with Sarah to this moment, there's one thing that I, that Joel knew how to do very, very well, and that was to comfort in the time of, of pain. And it's such a big moment for also the audience too, to see that of like these two people that have gone this whole time without really, you know, not showing affection to each other in the ways that we do in the world. And you see that and you're like, oh, he's also breaking down. All of the walls come down for him. And to see that, and she recognizes that as well. Like, oh my God, you're taking care of me in this moment and you are here. And it's both of them finally making that connection. Why was that baby girl, why was that line so important for this moment in the game? Because it's the point where she has become his daughter. She's not a replacement for Sarah, but she's just, at this point, she's just as important. Uh, And that phrase has become a symbol for um, that for him. And then everything else beyond that, I honestly don't remember what the dialogue is, but uh, but it was it was just something to help her get strength to get on her feet and get out of there. And it felt like that's not as important than just letting the mu- the moment kind of sit and letting the music take over because the music now is doing the heavy lifting. I remember we talked about Joel's watch and how that becomes a symbol for the player. So we don't have to have characters talk about things. They could just, we could direct an image and then that that takes your mind. The music is doing the same thing. So when when Sarah dies, um, there's this theme that we end up calling All Gone that plays. And then we play it again here when Joel is embracing Ellie and says, baby girl. And we play it again at the very end when he's carrying Ellie out of the hospital. And it's done that way by design because we want your mind to subconsciously go to the moment Sarah dies and string these moments together without us being explicit about it. I feel like maybe we haven't talked enough about Gustavo's score and how much it's helping the emotional impact, but that that, that piece of music is so beautiful and so moving, it felt like we didn't need any more words. My name is Gustavo Santaolalia, and uh, I am the composer of the music for the, the Last of Us. The moment that I met Neil, and then Neil actually told me the story, and I could sense how different this game was from any other game that existed before. It really was a, I mean, a no-brainer. I mean, I knew from the very, very beginning when I t- talked to Neil that I wanted to be involved in the game. How would you describe? the character of the score as it fits into The Last of Us? Yeah, well, I think it definitely has an element of uh, melancholy and uh, a certain element of despair. But I mean, confronted with this situation that really this this, uh, sort of apocalyptic uh, situation, there is a strong human element to the music, to uh, an emotional uh, human connection, but uh, but yes, I mean, I, I think the the important thing for me was to have this uh, this emotional 
content that actually didn't uh, go into simply something uh, sad. You know, I'm, I'm talking about especially uh, in things like All Gone, for example, in that the particular theme. In other themes, like the theme, you know, right? That has some uh, epic uh, connotations too. But uh, more like a human epic, more like an epic of the everyday man, you know, and not so like an epic of, uh, I don't know, like a gladiator movie, you know what I mean? I will create pieces that I really don't know to what character they belong, but they are inspired by them, you know, not necessary. I think some of these things, uh, Neil actually had more clear than I, you know, but I do, I do know that, for example, for me, the Ron Rocco, with its uh, tenderness and its uh, almost feminine quality, I had a connection with the Ron Rocco with Ellie, you know? And I had a connection with uh, the, the six-string bass with Joel. And I guess the guitar kind of connects those two worlds. Basically, that in the timbers, I will connect the Ron Rocco uh, with Ellie and the six-string bass uh, with Joel, and the guitar kind of like in, in, in between both of them. I knew that it was, a, was going to be something, a very personal score. I mean, I think all, all my work, it is, has that element. But so the connection with the, the guitar and the ronroco is a natural one. I mean, those are my main instruments. So uh, naturally, I was driven to them, you know, the thing is what or what to do uh, with them. But but the six string bass, that was a discovery because I've never used that instrument really before. And this is, a, there's a there's a whole you know, breed of basses, modern basses that have more than four strings. Usually, you know, the bass is an instrument known for having four strings, right? This bass is a, it's a bass that comes from the 60s. It's a, it's a Fender basic string that actually is an octave lower than a guitar. It's a very peculiar bass. And that was something that really wasn't planned. It just came by, by accident in a way because uh, I didn't have a bass uh, at, at hand. So that was a fantastic discovery because I've never used that instrument before. I mean, I have instruments that also that I get sometimes and they're there waiting for their moment. And that was definitely the moment for that, that instrument. But one of the things that I love about uh, Neil's and Neil's writing and Neil's uh, conception, you know, of the world, and uh, this extends to uh, The Last of Us 2 also, you know, is this thing, you know, about really creating real life people. And, you know, people in real life are good and are bad too. You know, they're not, you know, usually, of course, there are people that are just truly only mean people, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, but uh, you know, in, in the general majority, you know, we're all full of contradictions and sometimes we can be good and sometimes we can be bad or we can be good for some people and bad for others, you know, with our actions and with our thoughts. And, and I think that's what is, makes uh, these uh, stories so rich. How did you look to incorporate those contradictions into the soundscape? Sometimes, you know, I juxtapose something that can be very, very, uh, very spiritual and very soothing with something that is very brutal, uh, something that is very rough, you know? I love working with uh, uh, the roughness too, you know, the, the, the textures or, or sounds or noise, you know? I mean, one of the things that I love is to actually, you know, people try to avoid uh, the noise of the amp, for example, you know, that you have a, the 60 hertz or something that is there, you know? Or, uh, or the noises in the guitar, you know, between notes, when you slide from one note to another one. Those are things that I treasure. The same thing with uh, mistakes. 
You know, the concept of mistake, I take it totally in a different light. For me, mistakes sometimes can be great assets. Mistakes, as somebody sometimes said, you know, can be hidden intention. I, I always pay attention to a mistake because a mistake can be just a mistake or it could be, you know, a new route that you never could have imagined. So in the juxtaposition of timbers that can be soothing and at the same time aggressive uh, with another instrument, uh, that those contradictions, the use of uh, a full track, full of, you know, just packed with with sounds to something that is absolutely avoid of everything and it's just one single instrument the use of silence the space you know it's a silent that becomes eloquent all those things i think somehow express these contradictions what do you hope people remember about the game um, and their experiences with it as after they've experienced it one thing I'm sh I'm sure is common to all of the people is that they all have been emotionally touched by the game, and that th I think that that's a very different thing and something that that the last of us can be proud uh, to to achieved uh, is something that will be definitely remembered because I, I think sometimes you know well perhaps you know in 20 30 40 years you know I'm I'm you know not going to be here uh, but people will hear the the theme you know I will say oh I remember when we used to play you know the last of us and everything that will moved will definitely connect with that emotion that they they had that that uh, and that and that emotion, in this case in particular, because of the relationship, is an emotion that is connected to love. And I think that's what people are going to remember, that love and that, and that connection that the characters had between themselves and that they had with the characters and with the game. where we get off. Let's go, kiddo. <laughs> you feel that breeze, huh? I tell you, on a day like this, I just sit on my porch, pick away my six string. Yeah, once we're done with this whole thing, I'm gonna teach you how to play guitar. Yeah, I reckon you'd really like that. What do you say, huh? Ellie, I'm talking to you. Huh? Oh, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Everything all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, you just kind of seem extra quiet today. Oh, sorry. No, it's not... It's fine. Okay, turn the corner, because now we're about to go into a completely different place. The next section of the game is not so much about how Joel has changed, but now how Ellie has changed. Joel definitely demonstrates a different behavior. He's a little bit more optimistic and teach you how to play guitar. Um, we're going to get there. And, and, and he's talking about all of the positive, optimistic things, giving her hope. Joel is finally speaking about the future in terms of hope. And it's almost through the filter of, of it's, it's, it sounds so far away, not only just what he's talking about, but even just almost the way that it's treated because Ellie is so far away. And, and if you even notice the distance between the two characters is further than it's been. The thing that you've been doing throughout the entire game, the entire time is like, okay, we have this thing, come help me move it over. I go up, I boost you up. This is what we do. And you turn and Ellie. she's not there. And you have to remind her to do that. Ellie. What? The ladder. Oh my God. What is it? Ellie! Ellie! 
gotta see this. What is it? What the hell is... Are you kidding me? Come on, hurry up. You see this? I won't, I won't. What are you doing? It's all right. Come here, come here. Hey, uh, hurry up, come on. Go on. Hey there. <laughs> so fucking cool. Oh, where's it off to? Here, come on, let's go. Say, slow down, kiddo. <laughs> Everything you were hoping for? It's got its ups and downs, but you can't deny the view, though. We don't have to do this. You know that, right? What's the other option? Go back to Tommy's. Be done with this whole damn thing. After all we've been through. Everything that I've done. It can't be for nothing. My name is Almudena Soria, and uh, The Last of Us was my first game as an animator at Naughty Dog. Uh, so it's very special to me. <laughs> I worked uh, mostly on Ellie uh, as a player, as a non-playable character, as well as the giraffe sequence. It's such a special game for, I think, for everyone that worked on it. Um, it was something kind of unexpected until people started playing it. Because um, we're so close to it, we, you know, work many years on it and until everything comes together with cutscenes, with dialogue, with graphics, lighting, once you actually played it recently at home and it's just like, it still holds up. A big part about what makes this game so special, I think, is that combination of the story and the technical aspects like the animation and the things that you and the entire team brought to the table and I'd love it if you could talk about how you think, you know, the, the nuance and the animation and all of that contributed to the story. And then also how you think it, it, it brought everything to the table in terms of the entire experience. So for me, what we do with the animation is, uh, first of all, we keep it grounded. Because uh, that's the type of game The Last of Us is. And keeping it grounded make the players feel more connected with the characters they're playing. That's definitely the core of the animation style we're going for. Uh, and then we try to make the characters uh, look like what they're feeling. So starting with the sequence of uh, the giraffe level, basically, um, we see Ellie that she's like, she has a very closed posture, um, She's holding the backpack. She's looking down. That transmits like what she's feeling. Uh, we created this gesture system uh, for the Last of Us part part one, which we still use now because it's it's really really cool to create these moments. So for the animation as well, we want to, uh, as I say, we want the players to feel what the characters are feeling. And in the case of you're playing Joel at this time, so when you boost her, she's not responding. It's like, what's happening? You kind of probably feel a little frustrated. It's like, that's what he would feel like. Then you boost her and then she shoots off and it's like, what's happening? So Joel feels curious about where Ellie's going and the player feels curious too. And we talked about that moment where Ellie's kind of closed off and she's on her backpack and kind of you know looking at the ground. I'm curious if you have 
um, anecdotes or, or insight on moments where it was the opposite, where Neil has described this first game as being primarily about love and kind of how you and the team address showing that physically with Ellie as, as that relationship blossoms and grows. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, moments. So uh, after the draft sequence, we have this pretty heavy dialogue where uh, Ellie brings Sarah, uh, Joel's daughter that had been murdered. So that's very, very important because I feel Joel cares about Ellie so much is because he's uh, suffered the loss of her daughter. So at that moment, Ellie say, hey, I have something for you. And she and she hands this uh, picture of Joel and Sarah, which is, you know, I talked in that moment and, and Joel did too. I got something for you. Here. Maria showed this to me and I... Uh... I stole it. I hope you don't mind. Well, no matter how hard you try, I guess you can't escape your past. Thank you. Okay, I um, I have to bring this up because it's one of the most iconic scenes in the game. Talk to me about the giraffes. It was a very interesting evolution on that level. I remember uh, when Peter Field, the designer of that level, um, we have level kickoffs in the theater. So every member of the team that is involved in that level, we get together and they, uh, the designer present what the level flow would be like. So he started all sitting down and he's presenting this level, no combat, no traversal, and just giraffes. Everyone was very skeptical of that working because it's like no no combat like nothing all right so he was a true believer i think it was too obviously and once things started coming along together everyone was like oh okay you know it's an opportunity to give the players some rest enjoy the beautiful overgrow um environments the wildlife that the lack of humanity uh, you know, brings out there. And, you know, I'm not sure why giraffes were chosen, but I think it was the best choice because it's a, such a majestic animal that everyone, I think everyone likes and so unexpected that when you see it, you are really surprised. I'm curious how the game affected you and uh, kind of what that experience was for you when it was all said and done. So the first thing I thought it's like, I don't want to play any other game that is not like this one. Uh, seriously, it's, it's like, it's, it's like living in the story. So I really enjoyed that. And I, since then, I try to find games that are more like that. So I can, you know, leave the characters, the, live the life they're living. So yeah, as a human being, it's, it's just how, and also everything starts coming together at the end which, you know, we have all these levels, they're like scattered, like you kind of know what's going on until you sit down and start playing through the whole game. It's when you realize, oh, wow, this is a story. This is a game. At the beginning, there's like levels that are not even online or um, dialogue is not in, like cutscenes is still not in or like in very rough form. It's like the last year, six months where Everything is together. The lighting comes on. The sound is on. The effects. It's just, and it happens in a very short amount of time. Everyone is working constantly, constantly, constantly. But when everything comes together, it's where where you realize, like, wow, yeah, this this is something else. So Joel and Ellie make their way down the stairwell. Look, I know you mean well, but there's no halfway with this. Once we're done, we'll go wherever you want, okay? Well, I ain't leaving without you. So let's go wrap this up. They're heading to the hospital. This place takes me back. How so? It was right after everything went down. I ended up in a triage just like this. And everywhere you looked, you just saw families torn apart. 
Whole damn world seemed to have turned upside down in a blink. Is that after you lost Sarah? Yes, it was. I can't imagine losing someone you love like that. Losing everything that you know. I'm sorry, Joel. That's okay, Ellie. This time it's gonna be different. I just know it. What do you mean? They're gonna be there. The fireflies. I'm sure of it. They find themselves in a flooded tunnel, hopping from makeshift platform to platform, when... They're pulled underwater. Hands in the air! She's not breathing. Hands in the fucking air! Come on. <laughs> Ultimately, what happens is that Joel is saved by Ellie in the bus when he goes into the water. And in that, she dies. Like, they, she's, she drowns. Uh, and then again, we see is like, no, don't, don't bring me to this point where we're finally good and I'm, I'm going to lose her again. And then we wake up in the hospital room. Welcome to the Fireflies. Sorry about that. They didn't know who you were. And Ellie? She's all right. They brought her back. <sighs> you came all this way. How'd you do it? It was her. <clears throat> she fought like hell to get here. Maybe it was meant to be. I lost most of my crew across in the country. I pretty much lost everything. And then you show up and somehow we find you just in time to save her. Maybe it was meant to be. Take me to her. You don't have to worry about her anymore. We'll take care I of her. I worry. Just let me see her, please. You can't. She's being prepped for surgery. And then, of course, the whole revelation of that this plot was... Um, always designed to be like that you basically just transported our um, sacrificial lamb so you didn't have to save her you know we, we were gonna we're gonna kill her anyway you the girl could have gotten here dead or alive and just the, the pure sisyphean uh frustration that comes from that is like what have i what have i done all this for it was like it was for nothing this was just this rush of nihilism uh, at, at Joel, and, but now he has stakes in it. Now he, now it really matters, and it's like, all right, you guys done fucked up. Like th this is you have awoken the beast because you have you have activated now every part of me. The hell do you mean surgery? The doctors tell me the cordyceps, the growth inside her, has somehow mutated. It's why she's immune. Once they remove it, they'll be able to reverse engineer a vaccine. A vaccine. But it grows all over the brain. It does. Find someone else. There is no one else. Listen, you were gonna show me where- Stop. I get it. But whatever it is you think you're going through right now is nothing to what I have been through. I knew her since she was born. I promised your mother I would look after her. Then why are you letting this happen? Because this isn't about me, or even her. There is no other choice here. Yeah, you keep telling yourself that bullshit. March him out of here. He tries anything, shoot him. this gift, Joel. Marlene and Joel, there are similarities that they both care for Ellie. And Marlene were, say, were revealing that knew Ellie's mom and made this promise to Ellie's mom that she would watch over this girl. And now she has to go back on that promise in order to fulfill the Firefly's whole kind of objective, which is to restore mankind. Um, this is the thing that she's dedicated her life to, means killing the daughter of someone she cared about. 
I know Marlene didn't know this is the consequences of bringing Ellie here. Um, she is surprised by that as well. However, she accepts it in a way Joel doesn't. And she's wrestled with it. And now she's already come, by the time Joel shows up in the hospital, she's already come to terms with that decision, which is why she feels like she makes the mistake of keeping Joel alive because she sees here's the one person in this hospital that could understand what she's gone through, except he doesn't because he doesn't agree with her final decision. But her mercy is what actually ends up killing her. And I guess her other sin is that she didn't run this by Ellie. Like neither one of them, they're both playing the protective parent that it thinks they know what's best for this kid uh, and the world. Um, but neither one of them is asking the kid, what do you think is best for you? Go on. Move. I said move. What the fuck are you doing? Keep walking. I said keep walking. Where is the operating room? I ain't got time for this. Where? Top floor, the far end. What are you doing in here? Don't come any closer. No! You fucking animal! Harry, shut the hell up! Come on, baby girl. I got you. I got you. Oh, shit. Shit. I'm getting you out of here, girl. I got you. I got you. I said get back! Hey, stop! You can't save her. Even if you get her out of here, then what? How long before she's torn to pieces by a pack of clickers? That is, if she hasn't been raped and murdered first. It ain't for you to decide. It's what she'd want. And you know it. Look. You can still do the right thing here. She won't feel anything. You have so many games and movies and books and other stuff in this genre where it's, it's about saving the world and the hero at the end saves the world. And it just doesn't feel real. And it doesn't capture something as interesting about human or, right, the, the, again, the, this theme of like this unconditional love a parents feels for their child is that it could be psychotic. Um, that it could drive you to insane things of like how protective you could be of your child. So this idea of that, that you would get to the end and then choose to not save the world felt so more honest to me about like what we would do in this situation. And that, that there, it's ultimately like there is no cure. It's not about that. It's about saving the, the ones we love and playing someone that could easily be perceived as the villain, that at the end of it, you could be the villain. I know a lot of players saw it that way. And I like the idea that they were seeing it that way and that people make the argument for Joel as the bad guys. And to me, it's like you can make the same argument with equal weight that the Fireflies are the bad guys. Um, that here are people that are willing to kill a kid in the hopes of making a vaccine. And, it, and then it gets this whole philosophical conversation that I love. It's like, do the ends justify the means? At what point in pursuing good have you become bad? Um, and there are no clear answers here. There isn't like, okay, well, here's the line. It's like, if you kill 10 people to save a million, then that's okay. But if you kill 100, that's too much. Like, no, I don't know how you draw those, those lines. Um, so I, I just love that for Joel, and hopefully by now the player, they understand that, like, that doesn't matter. Like, Ellie could save a million people, or she could save two people. She could save all of mankind. That doesn't matter. That's his daughter there is no price you can put on your kid's head. Uh, it just doesn't exist. I think for Ellie, she was willing to accept at any cost 
bring in meaning to this journey. Even when they get to the, the very end, right before they're at the Firefly Hospital, uh, Joel tells Ellie, let's go back. Uh, we don't need to do this because he's afraid of like, yeah, you're already seeing he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about what this would mean. And it's just putting her at risk for one more day. Why do like, let's go back. We could start a life. Uh, and she, she rejects that. She, she just says, after everything we've done, after, after everything I've done, everything we've been through, it can't be for nothing, right? She, she needs to find meaning here. And she ultimately, well, whether she does or doesn't, I guess it's a little bit open to, her, to interpretation, but she's, she's left not with what she thought this would lead to, um, right? She thought this would lead to a cure. And then she wakes up in the car and is told there is no cure. Oh. Uh, what the hell am I wearing? Just take it easy. Drugs are still wearing off. What happened? And the fireflies. Turns out there's a whole lot more like you, Ellie. People that are immune. There's dozens, actually. Ain't done a damn bit of good, neither. They've actually... They've stopped looking for a cure. I'm taking us home. Sorry. When I first played through the game, I thought, I was like, oh, I absolutely would have made the same decision as him. And when I played through it recently, I was kind of able to see for the first time why so many people were um, not shocked by his decision, but couldn't believe what he did. And whereas before I was like, how, how, who would not do that? You know, for me, Ashley, I don't think I would do anything differently than what Joel did. I don't have any kids, but I have seven nieces and nephews. And if this happened with any one of them, there's no way I would leave them on that table. I would steal them and kill every single person that was in my path to save them. But I don't think I would lie to them. I think that is where the fault was with Joel, but I get why he lied. Because he can't live with her being disappointed in him. And I think he knows that she'll be upset and possibly never forgive him. And I think that's the same part of himself that pushes people away. You know, he lives his life with a lot of rules and sets up these parameters to protect himself. And he still is doing it until the end. But I think he has realized, wow, here's someone in this world that I care about. And they care about me. And that is more important to me. Well, looks like we're walking. All right. It's actually kind of pretty, ain't it? Yeah. Don't think I ever told you, but uh, Sarah and I used to take hikes like this. I think uh, <laughs> the two of you would have been would have been good friends. I think you really would have liked her. I know she'd have liked you. I bet I would have. It's a little bit further now. Hey, wait. <sighs> Back in Boston? Back when I was bitten? I wasn't alone. My best friend was there. And she got bit too. We didn't know what to do. So, she says, let's just wait it out. You know, we can be all poetic and just lose our minds together. I'm still waiting for my turn. Ellie. Her name was Riley, and she was the first to die. And then it was Tess, and then Sam. None of that is on you. You don't understand. I struggled for a long time with surviving. And you, no matter what, you keep finding something to fight for. Now, I know that's not what you want to hear right I now. Swear though, to me. Swear to me that everything that you've said about the Fireflies is true. 
I swear. Ellie wants to know the truth, right? Which is why she's been mulling these, this question, this this idea of like that she wants to make Joel swear to her that he's telling the truth because something definitely feels off to her. Um, but then she also got this thing that she's been looking for the whole time is like someone that's not going to leave, someone that's going to love her unconditionally. And can you reconcile those two things? Can you be with someone that has wronged you in this way or that has lied in such a way to make you lose trust? And there's this, again, this whole philosophical debate of how far are you willing to go to protect your child as far as Joel's arc? And this idea of taking him to the end of the line, like what's the most extreme act he would have to take? Because every time there's an ops, like, right, characters will take a path of least resistance. Whatever the, the least they have to do to achieve their goal, that's what they're going to do. So you put an obstacle, so they have to take a more extreme choice. And another obstacle, they have to make more extreme choice. Okay, now he's like, Tess has died. He sacrificed that. Okay, now he's sacrificing his safety. Okay, now he's sacrificing... Uh, he opens himself up to loss in a way that he hasn't before. So he's starting to sacrifice himself. Okay, he's sacrificing all of mankind to say, okay, where do you go after that? And it's like, oh, he's willing to sacrifice his relationship with her to save her. That's the ultimate sacrifice that he could make. It's like he's lying to her, knowing that this could be it. She might never trust him again, but he's got to do that so she doesn't go back to that hospital and try to get the cure. I love that that's the story because we're so flawed as humans and that the hero of the story, the main character in the story, Joel, is so flawed and we need to see that because when we see it, we're like, ah, yeah, I can relate to that because I'm flawed too. But this particular game and this experience was absolutely the greatest thing I've ever worked on. I loved the story. And the cast, the crew, um, Naughty Dog is so amazing to work with. And I haven't quite worked on something still to this day where when I was on set, I was inspired constantly. And as an, uh, you know, an artist in any form, you're always looking for that thing to sort of... Um, be inspired, that muse. And it's a little selfish, you know, that you need that thing. Um, but this was absolutely that thing for me. I learned so much. I would offer this story. I was in Indiana at a convention and a father comes up to me and he says, I got that game and I started playing it and I got to the prologue. I was like, yeah, uh, and he goes, I have, a, I have a daughter. And at that time, she was a baby. And he said, uh, I got to the end of the prologue and I put the controller down. I went to my daughter's room and I held her and I cried. And I said, I understand. He goes, no, you don't. He said, I never went back to that game. And he said, every day that I came home, I sat or I would walk into my house and I would look and I'd see where that controller sat in the same place that I left it. He goes, six months went by and I finally decided, all right, I'm not gonna let this thing beat me. And I picked up the controller and I played. And I finally get to the giraffe moment. And I put the controller down again and I cried. And he said, it dawned on me that sometimes we have to go through the hard times in order to find our giraffe moment. I mean, I would love for The Last of Us to have that kind of impact on people's lives that they remember where they were and the characters have stuck with them and some of the, the moral morally ambiguous situation they've been in have raised some interesting questions for them in their lives. Just that is incredible. And I guess seeing some of that right now, years later, you could like see that there's communities on Reddit that this game has brought together. There are people that got married because they were both fans of The Last of Us and that have named their first daughter Ellie. So just the fact that this game has been able to connect people in such a positive way 
has been incredible. And we now have people that work at Naughty Dog that have gotten into games and have come to work at Naughty Dog because the game inspired them to make video games. And again, I can think to games that have done that for me. Uh, I couldn't ask for anything more, right? It's like, it's the most incredible feeling that you're able to now somehow inspire someone that will make the next great game um, is incredibly humbling and just inspiring. Next week on the official The Last of Us podcast. I mean, this game absolutely just shows you how hate can absolutely wreak havoc on a family and an entire community of people. You know, there's endure and survive physically, but what does that mean for your soul? What does that mean mentally? How do you live with yourself? Well, love is hopefully one of those things that can feel more universal. They didn't need to make a sequel, but the story needed to be told in part two. And to not have granted the opportunity for this story to continue would have been a grave disservice to the story, to the characters, and to the world. But before we dive into the second game, over the next few days, we'll be dropping three shorter episodes, which we're calling Artifacts. We'll be talking with actor-cosplayer Mika Burton, TV writer Mark Bernardin, and film director Nia DaCosta about their experiences playing the game and how The Last of Us has affected their lives and the world of gaming at large. Be sure to keep an eye on your feed for those episodes and our official The Last of Us Part 2 discussion. The official The Last of Us podcast is produced by PlayStation and Spoke Media. It's hosted by me, Christian Spicer, and written by Brigham Mosley. Our Sony PlayStation team includes Charlie Yader, Christian Cardona, and Carrie Surtees. Our Naughty Dog team includes Arnie Meyer and Scott Lowe. Our production team is Carson McCain, Kelly Kolf, Trey Jones, Reyes Mendoza, and Alicia Force. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett, who contributed additional sound design and music. Today's episode included interviews with Neil Druckmann, Troy Baker, Ashley Johnson, Gustavo Santolalia, and Almadena Soria. Executive producers are Aliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds. Thanks for listening.